Welcome to Can, Can We, we talk, talk About this? this? I'm your host, Amberly from The Power of Birth. And I'm your producer, Rajelle from Bee Designs. And together we created this podcast to talk about women's health and the things that really matter. We have a real passion and focus on women's health and wellness and overall emphasize the importance of talking about maternal health. We chat to experts and continue sharing your stories. We're here to start the conversation, raise awareness, spread the word, call out gaps in the system and implicit biases. And we hope you learn something or even if you're just screaming yes the entire podcast. This is not a place for small talk. We're about real talk. And when we know better, we do better. And we challenge you to start this conversation elsewhere. Did you know you can find further resources on thepowerofbirth.net via the printable resources tab that includes things like a hospital bag checklist, postpartum toolbox, pelvic health information, and so much more. Don't forget while you're there to subscribe to thepowerofbirth.net for your free printable motherhood affirmations. I hope you love them as much as I do. In this episode, I chat to the incredible Danny Lee, a courageous mother who shares her journey of navigating infertility, polycystic ovary syndrome, so PCOS, and the challenges of undergoing IVF in rural Australia. Danny opens up about her experiences and sheds some light on the unique obstacles faced by those living in rural areas and offers insights and inspiration to others facing similar fertility struggles. Danny also explores her own resilience, hope, and the power of knowledge and community support. Danny's story is full of hope, but also full of grief and loss. And it's important to acknowledge both in infertility struggles. Okay, Danny, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm Danny. I live yeah in Surat, Western Queensland, so about four hours from Toowoomba, about oh you know yeah, six hours from Brisbane. Population of four hundred people. Rural has its own struggles as it is. I've done a fair bit of work in multiple different industries and my family my family own property. So they my father owns a grain and cattle property and my grandparents own a cattle property. So we've grown been born and raised in Surat. Schooling, we went to the local school and then we went to Fairhome College in Toowoomba. Um, so met lots of lovely people down there and got the connections. Fast forward all of that, my husband, or my now husband, we he was born and raised in Surat also. His family reside as well. We He went to boarding school. He's a bit older than me, but we all came back to, we both came back to Surat at different points in our life. And we, yeah, we've met and next minute we were married. Wow. And how many years ago was that? Uh, so we've been married for six years. We've been together for 10 Oh, nice. We started trying oh, probably six months after we were married, after we got sorted. We we bought a house and we'd done all of that. Um, we were already living together. So, yeah, we bought a house. We'd done that. We started trying for a baby. Nothing was sort of happening. I had booked in a doctor's appointment and being rural out here, it takes, it was, I think it was a three or four month wait with just your general gynecologist because they're a flying gynecologist I actually had to book it I had to book one in St George which was the quickest to get into Roma was even longer to get into a gynecologist so yeah but in the midst of that my husband unfortunately broke his leg very severely Um, we had to be all he was chopped out all the way back to Toowoomba and I had to do a early morning dash to Toowoomba 
to get there for him. So that was a bit of dramatic in itself. I then had to put off my gynecologist appointment because it clashed with one of his surgeries. So everything just kept getting pushed back, pushed back. There was nothing. Yeah, like we were just so constant at home. Like he had, he was the first time he was in um, hospital for two weeks with three surgeries. So that was sort of a bit dramatic on its own. So, yeah, we just – so I had to push everything back. And then his leg wasn't healing. It was more surgeries, more surgeries. And then, yeah, eventually I did – there was a break and he was at home. There was a break and I did finally get to go down to St. George. They sort of – they'd done blood work and everything and they sort of looked at it and was like, oh, yeah, we'll just put you on Clomid, like – I didn't realise at the time I had, I didn't have much knowledge of fertility and how, like, you know, obviously I knew you had your period, you ovulated, that was fine. I didn't know how complicated it could get. Mm -hmm. Like, it was very, I had no idea. I didn't really, I didn't even get the concept of IVF at that point. I really had no idea. There was no, there's been no education for it which I think is probably that's probably one thing that needs to be addressed in today's society is the education for it because there's just not like at school you're taught because it's not like it's not really the school's responsibility either mm-hmm. but at school you're only taught oh yeah this don't have yeah don't have sex you, you'll get pregnant <laughs> that's not the case yeah <laughs> that is def yeah that is definitely not the case like there's a lot more out there and it's getting more and more common in our society, which makes me wonder what, yeah, what in our lifestyle has changed over these years that is causing this. You were saying that they put you on Clomid and then you didn't really understand sort of what IVF was and how it all worked. So how would you explain it to somebody? IVF is a massive mental game. Mm. (laughs) You've really got to be prepared when you go through it. Because people, I think people are a bit naive about it, even if they do know about it. But, yeah, it's basically, like, yeah, the basic gist of it is, yeah, you, they stimulate you, they gather your eggs, they pull everything out, put the eggs and the sperm together, and then they put it back in. That is the general gist of it. Mm -hmm. But within that logic, there is so many things that have to go right and have to go in your favour for that to line up. There's there's so many your hormones your hormones like have got to be at the right point. If they're not at the right point, it doesn't matter. Like there's a lot of failed cycles because your body just doesn't respond to anything and just respond to the drugs that you they're giving you. Oh, like it's it's endless. Mm. <laughs> like there I do have friends, they have children of their own and they're like they conceive naturally um and they're like oh we had no idea that was so technical yeah yeah so it's it's very technical it's very emotional and how I felt that I got through it was anything that happened any small thing that happened was a bonus like I didn't expect anything so because I wasn't expecting anything I didn't get let down because that was the hardest part was you were expecting something and then you get let down yeah that was the hardest come down was from that. Yeah. So you were saying that so they, they put you on Clomid and then what happened? Yep. Yeah, so they put me on Clomid and said, oh, this will – because they assumed that I had PCOS and I wasn't ovulating properly, so that's why I hadn't – by this time I hadn't got pregnant in 12 months. By the time we got there, 
and he just sort of sat me on my way. He didn't explain any risks, especially with polycystic ovaries. He didn't explain any of that. So this was my first dose of Clomid, and I think I must have been 10 days in, and I was in excruciating pain, absolute excruciating I was working at the time. I would drive to work. I would cry in the car. Like, I was just extremely bloated. I know I was working one night at my second job, and I was just in so much pain. I said, I'm sorry, I've got to go home. I went home. I went home to my husband, and I curled up in a ball in front of the toilet because I was in so much pain. And he said, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong. I I got through the night with some very hefty drugs <laughs> and then I went to the doctor the next morning and my doctor, we're very blessed in the little town of Surat that we have an amazing female doctor. She has been excellent in all capacities. So I went to her first thing in the morning. She immediately, once I told her, like, right, I've had a round of claim in, this is what I've done. She's like, right, immediately she gave me some heavy painkillers. She's like... You've got to go to Roma and you've got to go now because you need an ultrasound. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll get going now. I did. I got up there. I had my ultrasound and then I was heading home because she said, come back and we'll, I'll get, by the time you get home, I'll get the results because they take a while to come in. She, I got to the doctor's surgery. I come in and she's like, I'm so sorry you're going to have to pack a bag and you're going to have to go back to Roma because you have to be admitted to emergency surgery tonight. So my right ovary was 100 cc's, they call it. It was, I think they said it was the size of an orange and it was threatening to twist and turn on itself, which would in then return cut off the blood supply and kill that ovary. So I needed emergency surgery to go in and drain that for everything to be safe and for the pain to be relieved. So it was a cyst? Yeah, it was a cyst. It was a massive cyst caused by the Clomid and it had excruciated it, yeah. So (laughs) that was a big day. So by the time I got back to, by the time I called my husband, he's just gotten home from work. I said, we've, we've got to go to Rome and we've got to go now. Packed a bag. I alerted my family because Rome is an hour away. Mm. Uh, so we got there, I think we got there at about 7 o'clock at night. I'd had something to eat at 3 o'clock during the day. So they had to wait. We had to wait a couple of extra hours for the food to be out of my body, obviously, because I didn't realise that I was going to be admitted to emergency surgery. And it was just, it was very lucky at that time. There was a flying OBGYN. He was just about to leave. And when he got the call to say, no, no, you have to stay for this emergency surgery. Otherwise, I probably could have been flown out to Toowoomba, most likely, for the surgery. So well, I was very blessed in that sense. So, yeah, I was admitted, I think it must have been around 10 o'clock, I was admitted into um, into the surgery. So my husband was, uh, he was downstairs waiting for me. I think I got out, I got out of surgery at about midnight. I was still in recovery at the time. They drained the cyst and everything, but in doing that, they had found the, the root cause of why I wasn't able to conceive. The doctor... The doctor went down and met my husband at midnight 
and told him that both of my fallopian tubes were severely blocked and I would need further surgery from a specialist to have these removed because they were that bad. So, yeah, there was absolutely no hope in me ever trying to able to conceive with them. So that was a big load for my poor husband at midnight on a Friday night and he had to come home, have a sleep, and he got back up to me, I think, about 5.30 in the morning, the next morning. So that was a big thing that he had to weigh on himself all night that he had to come and tell me that what we'd been trying for a child for 12 months and that, yeah, it wasn't going to be happening in the near future anyway. So that was one of the rare times I had seen him very upset. He told me that, and obviously I was a complete wreck that day. The doctors did come once once the initial shock had come over. They had come back in probably about 10 o'clock the next day to brief me. So I had a doctor. Uh, I had a doctor, one of the surgeons that was with him at the time, and I had three nurses in the room with me all to break the news and talk to me about this. So that was that was a pretty big thing and a lot of crying. I got to admit, the all of those people in Roma, they were excellent with breaking that news to me. Like that would be a very hard job for them, and I'm sitting there freshly out of surgery, finding out these details. So he said, like the next steps would be, I will recommend you to a specialist, and you need to go as soon as as soon as you're ready and able. So I had that surgery in July. And then I think I had a specialist appointment in September by the time I could actually get that specialist appointment. So can we go back for a minute? So when you did your first cycle of Clomid, were you aware that you had PCOS? Had that been a diagnosis that you'd received? No, no. That was when he handed me the script for Clomid. That was when I got that. He's like, oh, just looking at your blood, you might have mild PCOS. I was like, oh, okay. That was the first time. I did, like looking back now, there was a lot of, there was a lot of things that I was telling doctors that they weren't picking up on Mm. at all. Like I, I, as a teenager, I didn't just get my period and it was regular, like, Mm-hmm. I got my period quite late. I think I was 15 and a half by the time I'd actually got my period. So that was a really massive indicator that something wasn't quite right to start with. And then when I did get my period, I I think there was a three-month period where I got it every two weeks and then I could go for three months without getting it after that. So it was very... It was very irregular. I told multiple doctors about this and they, oh, your hormones are just working itself out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they they weren't working itself out because at the time, you know, finally once we got the diagnosis that my tubes were as they were, it sort of, it all made sense because I had appendicitis when I was 13. Um, so I was admitted for surgery to have my appendix removed from this This is what they have based it down to why my fallopian tubes were the way they were was because I had appendicitis and the infection had spread and they didn't pick it up at the time of surgery. So, you know, 13, right in the middle of puberty, and that's, you know, an infection in your fallopian tubes that Mm -hmm. would have to be messing with hormones, getting your period and all of that. So, yeah. So did that sort of 
was that a light bulb moment for you when he had said, oh, I think you've got PCOS? Like, did, did you sort of go away and process this and go, oh, yeah, like this is what I've got? Or was it still no, sort of? Not, mm. No, not really, because I had, uh, I can't say I was educated on it at all. I was just like, oh, yeah, like I didn't really know what it was or how mm-hmm. it could affect me. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't really explained. You mentioned your husband's reaction to hearing about your fallopian tubes. You mentioned how great the doctors were. I'm interested to know how you felt hearing this news. I felt absolutely devastated. Like, you know, you've been trying for a baby for 12 months and to find out that all of your, like, you know, all of your hard work that you've been trying to put in, you know, you're trying to keep your healthy, your body healthy and everything was for absolutely nothing. There was, because there was no hope in hell of you actually conceiving to start with. Mm. Like, it was absolutely devastating and gut-wrenching. Um to then and then you had to think well how the hell have we got to move forward you know how long is this going to take is more to the point like yeah you'd already been you're trying for 12 months and you know you're hoping every single cycle and every single day you're hoping and hoping whereas for that news it's basically oh it's not going to happen anytime soon you've got to go through all of this all of this stuff to even get where you remotely want to be mm-hmm so what did your fertility journey look like from here on out? From here on out was um, the fertility journey was a lot of traveling. <laughs> so oh. um, <laughs> a lot of traveling, a lot of time off work just because, yeah, it takes you a day to get like it, you know, it takes you a whole day just to go to that appointment. You've got to drive four hours, do your appointment and come home. Um, so we made the decision. We made the decision to go to a doctor in Toowoomba, which is our closest. Toowoomba is the absolute closest that we could get to us for a OBGYN, so and a fertility specialist. So that was that was our next option. We um, we went to we went to the uh, the specialist in Toowoomba. He he'd done more blood tests and everything, and he sat me down. He's like, right, like just to get a baseline of where everything is at. He gave you my full history and he sat me down and he said, right, I think the only way we're going to know, because nothing shows up on ultrasound, that's, yeah, that sort of stuff doesn't show up. So you've obviously, you've got no idea. He said the ultimately, he took me through my options, but he's like, we've, we've got to go into surgery. We've got to have a look. And ultimately he's like, if like what the doctors, other doctors reports he'd been given, he said, if they are as, as bad, what? they say they are he's like we're going to have to we're going to have to remove them there's no there's no repair there's no repair option that's that's just it at the time i think he was finishing up his placement with robotic surgery so i was one of the last patients on his supervised role for robotic surgery which was a new thing to toowoomba which was excellent. The recovery time was meant to be less and less invasive and less pulling. So ultimately we went into surgery. I think it took a lot longer than expected. I remember coming out of that surgery and in the recovery room and I asked the nurses, are they gone? And they said, yes. And I just, on a lot of medication, mind you, I absolutely burst into tears. It was, again, it was the middle of the night by the time I'd come out of surgery and I absolutely burst into tears just 
the reality had hit me that, yeah, they were gone. There was, yeah, there was completely no more hope and our journey forward was going to be very hard and a lot of time consuming and it, it just wasn't going to be, it wasn't the straightforward, oh, yeah, you have intercourse, you get pregnant. Like mm. that, that was just not, yeah, that wasn't our journey to going forward and that's that's the reality of it. So that hit me, that hit me very hard. Were you explained, was there any sort of change that meant for your body having them removed? Was that ever explained? No, well, I think at this point there wasn't like just having your tubes removed. There's not a lot of repercussions from that for your body. If anything, once I'd fully recovered and my cycles had returned to somewhat normality that I did have, which it sort of t- probably took, you know, four to five months. I did notice a massive difference in my cycles and I was like, oh, my God, it was just a light bulb moment. Like if doctors had picked up on this, like a lot of clotting, like that wasn't normal. Mm. And I told doctors, like they asked if there was a lot of clotting and I said, oh, yeah, heaps. There wasn't much clotting after I had my tubes removed. So obviously they were the root cause of that happening so it was just it was frustrating to me that nothing nothing was picked up on even as a teenager I wasn't I wasn't heard like Mm -hmm. they didn't think they just brushed it over sort of thing yeah so yeah it sort of made a lot of sense after stuff got back to normal and so IVF was really the only option left to have a family yes yeah so what did that look like um, so let's, my doctor, um, he was excellent. I was like, you know, obviously after having the surgery, I was like, how long do you need for my body to recover? And then we can go through this process. He said probably, I think it was four or five months. And he said, we can jump back into it. At that time, I was changing jobs. So it wasn't really, it wasn't an option within that time. I was like, oh, I've got to settle into my new job and then we can sort of go from there. Um, so I think we gave it, it was probably eight months after my surgery that we sort of started thinking, right, we can, um, we can now jump back into this. Um, and the whole thing was, oh yeah, it was just my fallopian tubes removed. We'll, you know, we'll do a cycle and implant an egg and I'll be pregnant. Ta-da, done. No, (laughs) that is, Mm. that is definitely not the case and definitely not how it works. Being with polycystic ovaries, he put me on a low dose of the medication and he's like, right, we'll go and my reaction to the to the clomid and how severe it was, he said, right, we'll go a low dose to be safe and let's fingers cross and hope we can see something. So injecting myself to start with with needles into my belly, that was a massive adjustment. <laughs> And how regularly did you have to inject? So from the second day of your cycle, I had to inject myself once a day from, I think it's roughly from day seven, then you have to inject yourself twice a day. The first needle is not too bad. It's okay. The second needle, no, it, it does hurt. So our first cycle, you know, I made the adjustment to injecting myself and everything and I you have to do regular visits to Toowoomba. The first time I thought, oh, okay, your appointments are only two, maybe three days apart to keep an eye on everything and how everything's growing. And I thought, I'll just stay down in Toowoomba. So that's 
that's an extra added cost. You have to pay accommodation, you know, for every night that you're down there. So I think I stayed down there a week. So, you know, roughly, you know, seven, $800 at the cheapest it costs just to stay down there and only to be get the news that, yeah, I'd stayed down there all that time and we got, I think, three days out from our possible egg collection to say, no, nothing was, there wasn't anything major there and he was to cancel the cycle um, and we would not go forward with anything for this cycle. So that mm. was that was my first letdown because I'd gotten my hopes up so, yes, yeah, so much that, yeah, it, that was a big come down and pretty emotional from it. Um, so, yeah, just to go home and go, oh, wait till your period comes next and we'll go again. So, yeah, which is – and then which is what we did. We um, – I came home and went back to work and done all of that and waited for my next cycle. So we now – we upped my medication and we went again. The second time round with the needles, I did – I felt myself getting worked up about them. Like I would – right, okay, it's 15 minutes before i got to take my needle. I was – yeah, I would stand in the kitchen crying, working myself, trying, working myself up to inject myself. That was pretty hard, just trying to uh, mentally that, you know, first thing in the morning, yeah, you're getting yourself so emotionally worked up mm. that, yeah, the rest of your day just didn't go great, <laughs> mm. um, let alone how the medication made you feel, which was pretty pretty crappy yeah which is just terrible and trying to focus and do anything else in life is just terrible anyway I got through that so our second cycle I'm injecting myself we're going good we've got more eggs oh we've got more possible eggs this time so he is confident that we were going to we were going to make it to egg collection which was excellent we did we ended up making it to egg collection so we got a total of six eggs the first round so then they put them in they fertilize at the end of it so then you've got to wait five days for a five-day embryo to develop at the end of that we ended up with three embryos from that which was like that was an excellent result i was quite happy with that so then our so we didn't take a cycle off like we kept going so this is every single month that we kept going so every single month is doctor's appointments and just kept going so then we went we moved into a we moved into our frozen embryo transfers which all of our so all three of that first round were unsuccessful um, our first one, it was completely unsuccessful. Nothing showed up in my bloods, everything. The second two were probably the hardest and the hardest emotionally. So our, uh, our second transfer ended in a chemical pregnancy. I had the doctor ring me and say, oh, congratulations, you're pregnant. <laughs> mm. And then only to be told you go up for follow-up bloods for two days later. Only to be told, so at that point, so yeah, to say congratulations, you're pregnant, at this point, I think we were, it must have been two and a half years in to try and have a baby. At that point, I was so excited. I'd got my hopes up. I was just, I was so over the moon, only to be two days later for him to ring me back and say, oh, no, it's a chemical pregnancy. It, it's gone. Oh, that was just, it was massive. And mind you, all these phone calls, 
you get them during the day at work. Yeah. So trying to – I had a lovely – I had an absolute lovely group of people that I worked with, so they knew all of this because I couldn't hold myself together. Like I'm getting that phone call, I'm outside absolutely bawling my eyes out. There was nothing – I, I don't know how people try and keep that a secret because I definitely could not. Mm. Um, they were excellent. They said, you know, go home for a couple of hours, have your, you know, have your moment and come back. So, and I did, which was, it was really good for them to do that. So, yeah, like they say, you know, IVF is so isolating, which, which it is. Like they were very supportive, but I still felt so alone that, this was all happening to me. Um, at, you know, you got to say all this time, like going through all of that, hoping and doing all of this. All of my friends were getting pregnant. I was going to baby showers. I think one baby shower I did go to was one of my good friends, and she started trying after I did. It was so emotionally draining, and even I think that day. I'd started, I think that was my third round. I'd started my injections for my third round of IVF. So I was feeling pretty crappy, emotional, standing at a baby shower. And people at that baby shower were, at this point, we're probably, yeah, three years married. Oh, when are you having a baby? When are you yeah. doing this? And, oh, I, I've, the further I've got on with it, the more snappy I probably got about it. Because, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I I got really rude and abrupt and I'm just, yeah, because people, people don't understand and they don't, um, yeah, they don't get it, Mm -hmm. which me now mindfully, I know now being all of what we go through, I do not ask anyone when they're having a baby. I do not ask when they're having another one, let alone do, even if I think they're pregnant, if they don't tell me, I won't ask, Mm -hmm. like, that's yeah because you don't know what someone else is going through at that time so how many rounds of IVF did you do before you actually did get good news so yeah we've done three stimulation rounds so that first one was cancelled we moved on so those three embryos none of those took and we moved on to a new stimulation round which then we did we ended up with the same again we got more we got 10 we got 10 eggs this time but we still only ended up with three embryos. So our first, and we did change something dif- I, different. We got them genetically tested this time because I was like, it's not working. I need to get them. I know we need to do something else. So I got them genetically tested. They all came back fine. And we done our, our first transfer off that round, which was our fourth embryo transfer in total. And finally, we got the good news that... Um, I was pregnant. Um, my numbers were excellent, but still, from those other rounds, she's like the nurse goes, "Oh, your your numbers are excellent, like way above what you'd previously done." Even then, I was still so hesitant. I didn't want to let myself get excited, only to only to be let down again because it was just it was too emotionally draining to let yourself get excited and the come down from that. It was. 
I just couldn't do it. My coping mechanism was to not let myself get excited to complete. Yeah, that was my coping mechanism. So I didn't have a big letdown if something did go wrong. From there on in, my pregnancy was quite smooth. I was quite sick, but that's that's okay. But at our 12-week viability scan, um, we got all of our bloods done and he said he... I knew there was bad news coming because he had pulled the nurse in with him and I was like, what is going on here? So meanwhile, we had it forked out extra money to have our embryos genetically tested. He came back with a DeGeorge syndrome, they call it. It was a red flag in the bloods that he was at high risk for DeGeorge syndrome. He then suggested I needed to go to Brisbane and I needed to go to Brisbane ASAP to... um, to get a CVS, which is where they stick a massive 30-centimetre needle straight into the middle of your belly to get a sample of the placenta to then send off to have the baby tested to see if they had this syndrome. So that was quite traumatic turnaround. So, you know, Mm. we've driven four hours to Toowoomba, got the bad news. We had to drive home because we had to be at work the next day, both of us, to then only be told that, Three days later, we've got to go to Brisbane, which is six hours away, to have this test done. I'm pretty sure the receptionist rang me at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and she's like, the doctor, he can see you at 6.30 tomorrow morning. And I was like, oh, my goodness. My husband was at the time camping camping away I um, with no phone service. I then had to proceed to ring his boss and tell him he needs to drive home now because we need to go to Brisbane now to be there in time for six o'clock in the morning. So a six hour drive from, you know, two o'clock the previous afternoon, trying to get ready and everything. So we eventually, so that was not only was all the travel stressful, um, so was the fact that I was so angry that the system, like, you know, sort of health system had failed me. I'd paid extra money to have, it genetically tested and all this stuff. I was just so angry and worked up that why is this happening to me? Extra stress. Why couldn't it just be smooth? Mm. <laughs> um, so this then, because that really let myself down to you go to your 12-week appointment hoping to get the all clear and I can finally tell all my friends and family we're pregnant only to get there and go, no, this has happened you know, and we can't really announce it to the whole wide world yet because we, we don't know if it's going to be viable. Mm. Um, that That's your thinking and, and the time. So that was a massive letdown that I got robbed the whole time. Like people get, get to surprise their friends and family that they're pregnant. There's no element of surprise in this, in this, in the IVF game. Like my family and friends, they all know, oh, yeah, you're going back to Toowoomba again, you're going back to Toowoomba again. They know what's going on. So there's no element of surprise. So anyway, we finally got the test results back from that at 15 weeks. So they take two weeks to come back. And thankfully, they they were all clear. It was fine. It turns out that I'm a carrier of it. It will never result to anything, but it will always show up in my blood test results. So that was... Thankfully, that was excellent news. So to go on from there, so finally at about, yeah, 15 or 16 weeks, we could finally start announcing to the world. By this time, it was getting pretty 
people were guessing I was quite large. So people were already guessing. So, you know, sort of the element of surprise. And they sort of like, you know, I'd tell them, oh, I'm pregnant. And they're like, oh, yeah, we, we knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. Like, Did they celebrate for you, though? Like, Because obviously they would have known how hard you've been working. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, they did. They did. A lot of my closest friends and family, they, they like, I was very open and honest with them. They knew our struggles. So they were extremely excited. They were over the moon. Um, that was excellent. But, you know, your average day sort of stranger, they, yeah, oh, you're pregnant. Yeah, you're married. That's the normal process. So. Mm which was really good. And from there, the rest of my pregnancy was smooth. But my mindset was still get over the next hurdle, get over the next hurdle, get to 24 weeks, get to viability. I was more aware of what can happen mm-hmm. um, and how how quickly it can be taken away from you. I can't say I enjoyed my pregnancy and celebrated because, because of that. Like I didn't buy any baby clothes or prams or anything until after I was 30 weeks. So because I didn't want to, it was the same mindset in my thinking, I didn't want to get my hopes up. So that was probably one thing I wish was better, that I could enjoy my pregnancy because it was smooth. I After I did get over my sickness, like I did feel great, like that was excellent because a lot of people don't have that. So that, yeah, I just, I just wish I, my mind could have enjoyed it a little bit more and I could have done things a little bit differently, but that's, that's okay. And we had our baby shower and it was so excellent. We had a massive baby shower with all of our friends and family because they all recognised the struggles and how long it had taken us. So that was, you know, that was three and a half years of constant driving back and forth to Toowoomba, money. Yeah, that was – and that was excellent. That was an excellent day. I absolutely loved it. So that was probably – I was 33 weeks pregnant. So probably from then on in, I started I started enjoying myself. Wow. Yeah. So it, it took that long. Mm, IVF does – it sort of puts a dark cloud on everything, a sense of yeah. worry, anxiety, just the realities of, you know, what you know can go wrong. And... Yeah, because and probably because I was aware, and obviously being in the game, I because some people they get pregnant, and because they're not like if they could do it very easily, and they and they're fine all through it, they don't realise of all the stuff that can go wrong, mm. and it can go wrong very quickly. Whereas I was, it, that was at the forefront of my mind. I've yeah. been there, done that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, how was your birth? My birth was excellent yeah all natural I was booked in for I was booked in for an induction that was probably was probably my pushing because I you know I had to spend two weeks in Toowoomba by the time I'm two weeks I was getting a bit restless I was like when's when's this baby coming and he's like oh do you want me to book you in for an induction and I was like um yeah you should know me by now yes please but I didn't end up getting there my son Mason, he beat the doctor there, so which was excellent. So a Friday morning, we were booked in at six o'clock to get the induction. I, my waters broke and I went into labour at eight o'clock the night before. I was very lucky. My husband had got there, got to Toowoomba that day, so I was in Toowoomba by myself. 
So he'd only gotten there that day and we were just about to go to bed and, yeah, then my water's broke and I was like, oh, dear, it's it's time, darling. <laughs> so, yeah, up we went to the hospital. I think, yeah, no, it was all very smoothly. By the time I was, you know, the nurse asked me, oh, you know, do you want an epidural? And I said, yeah, I'll try and go as long as I can and then I'll ask for an epidural. I wasn't even in birth suite. I was just in a waiting room because she's like, oh, you know, you're only in early labour. This could take a while. I remember calling her back in at about 2 a.m. and I was like, I don't know, like, can you just give me something to edge the pain off? And she just gave me um, pethidine, just a needle. Um, She's like, this will take the edge off and you can sleep until the doctor comes, you know, in the morning. I think 20 minutes after that needle, I called her back in. I was like, I don't know, can you, can you just check? I think I need to push. And she's like, oh, no, sure, you'll be right. And, yeah, no, she checked and she's like, oh, we've got to go to birth suite. We've got to go now. And at that point I was then calling for an epidural and she's like, we don't have time, (laughs) which we didn't. We didn't have time. He was, yeah, he was out within an hour of that. So, but it was a very smooth process and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I did, in my mind, I did think it was going to be a lot worse. So I was very blessed with that. Because a lot of women don't have easy births like that. So I was very blessed that it was quite easy. Um, and... It's like something finally went right for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something finally went right. Like after all of that, yeah, I because I was very prepared with birth, like just to go with the flow, That's this is what happens. And I had full trust and confidence in my doctor. He knew me and I had full trust and confidence in him that he would make the right call when he needed to. Mm. Um, lucky enough, he didn't have to because I think he only got there within 15 minutes of me giving birth. Um, but that was a, it was a very lovely experience. I did, I did quite like it. Within two hours, I was up and showered and ready and, yeah, just it was, it was a really nice day after that. Can you tell me how you felt when you finally got to meet him? Oh, it was, I cried (laughs) a Mm. lot that he finally, yeah, he finally came out. He was fine. We didn't know this and we didn't know the sex. We didn't find out because I was like, yeah, something's got to be an element of surprise here. Like, and it was, it was an absolute surprise because I was the one to see, um, I was the one to see that he was a boy. No one said, no one in the room said anything. I was, they let me see. And, and that was excellent for me that we'd, um, we'd finally got there. Like it was, it was an absolute dream come true. Wow. So. I can still see all those emotions in your <laughs> face. <laughs> oh yeah. So no, it was, it was truly a blessing um, that he's, yeah, that he was here. He was fine. And from that point forward, we didn't have too much drama. And so the up until that point, what was sort of the impact that this whole experience had had on, you know, your mind, your body, your finances, your relationship, the lot? Oh, it, it, yeah, people really don't get how much it impacts your life. Like just financially, I think we'd spent, we'd spent $40,000 out of pocket. So that was that was a massive challenge. Like literally, I was probably I was you know had a full time job, and that was probably just covering our IVF. So yeah. we had to. It was basically that was covering our IVF, and we had to live off my husband's wage. Let alone the medications and everything you're on. It takes a massive toll on your body. I gained so much weight, even when 
even when I was trying to, I was trying to lose weight. We were ex, like I was exercising. I was eating correctly because, well, I had to eat correctly, you know, for my body to go through IVF and produce the best quality eggs we could. So yeah, like I gained a lot of weight and I couldn't, I couldn't get it off. I admittingly, I still can't get it off. <laughs> but then like it did, it took a toll on our relationship. The constant letdowns, being upset, your like your intimacy with each other, it felt forced and drained because of everything going on around you. Yeah, there was a lot of, and people, yeah, people don't get that because, you know, we're, yeah, because I was upset and then my husband was away for work. So there was just a lot of factors that factored into it. But I think eventually at the, on the other side, we've come out a lot stronger than that, uh, like mm. a lot stronger from that. And I would think most couples would come out a lot stronger from that. So I do feel, I do feel blessed in that sense that, yeah, we've come out a lot stronger for it and I probably... I'd like to think anyway that I appreciate my son a lot more from having the massive struggles that we did. Like, And so you then decided to start trying again for another baby. Yeah. How has that gone? <laughs> Not great. Not mm. great at all. So, you know, like the typical you get down, you know, or nearly probably as soon as, you know, you hit, 12 month mark people are asking oh when are you going again when are you going again and I did I got probably really rude and abrupt and said when we have enough money mm. um because that's probably ultimately people don't realize it's not just yeah we it's not like everybody else we have to sacrifice a lot to be able to have the funds to even go try for a baby so yeah, I think he was probably about 18 months. Like, we did leave it. We decided, righto, when he's 18 months, we will start the process again. We did have two embryos left and we thought, right, we can. I was probably a little bit naive and thought, oh, yeah, second time around should be pretty easy. And and people ask the same thing. Oh, yeah, it'll be easier next time around. And even you even get the fact that people don't, people don't fully understand. I Like, I tell people... Yeah, I've had my fallopian tubes removed. There's no like, there's no possibility of conceiving naturally. But they'll still go. Oh, I've heard so many people do IVF first, and then you'll yeah, you'll just conceive naturally the second go. Mm. That's not an option. Yeah, we don't have we don't have that option. That that's not for us. That may have happened for your friend, but that's not for us. Like, they just don't fully understand. And you find that really frustrating. Yeah, really conversations. Yeah, yeah, really frustrating because you've got to think too. Like I know people, they mean well, um, and they try to, but it's probably what they don't understand is me. You're not the only person asking or saying this to me. There's twenty different other people that will say that, and that's a lot. You know, coming back on one person, and you're trying to keep your mind and the right mental frame to go forward and do what you need to do but you've yeah it's really hard to pull yourself out of it I do see why people they get overbared by it yeah because you've really your mental you've got to pull your mental state up and up and out sort of thing and you sort of got to ignore it like people don't mean it but that's probably where I think 
education to people is probably more to the point. It's They don't mean it, it's not their fault. But if they had more education about everything that goes on and how hard it is, they might not say that. Mm. Like, That's why conversations just, like this are important. Exactly. We, did, we went on with the embryo transfers and as, you know, as I thought and my doctor thought, oh, we'll do the same protocol that we did last time. You know, same batch of embryos that were genetically tested, this is fine. Yeah, we've done both both embryo transfers and nothing took. Nothing, not even a chemical pregnancy, nothing. Like it was just no hope in hell. So that was that was a massive letdown, especially when we got to the second one and I was like, right, I've got to go through this all again. Like I've got to go through, through a full stimulation round. This is not great. Let alone we got to our – so I had a couple of months break because it was over Christmas, uh, you know, Christmas, New Year, and I was like, oh, I don't want to be – don't want to be doing anything over Christmas, New Year. That's just a death sentence. So we picked it back up in February this year. Going into my egg collection, I thought, oh, like I'm, I'm aware of what can happen and what can't, but I was I was sort of hopeful that, oh, yeah, we could go into that egg collection and, you know, we hopefully get one or two and, you know, we'll be able to go again. That wasn't the case. So I was this time round because I'm older, as my doctor tells me, because I'm older, we done more medication, more needles, like it was up to three a day. How old are you? Like um yeah, I'm I'm not quite thirty. I'll be thirty in September. So yeah, what? to hear that yeah, to hear that coming out of my doctor's mouth was yeah, like he didn't mean it nastily. Like no. he's trying to do a, he's trying to do a job. There's more. There's more things that factor in. So they've got to yeah, your hormones drop. So they've got to do all this extra stuff to sort of accommodate for it. So going into that, um, yeah, more needles. I even yeah, three a day, and then just before our egg collection, I had to do four needles in the space of five minutes. <laughs> Uh, so that was quite, uh, that was interesting because <laughs> mm. they had to be at this certain time for our egg collection. Like they had to be all of that. So yeah, one needle after another. I found an ice pack really helped. You numb the area mm. and away you go. I, I did learn that trick quite late. So mm. yeah, so anything. But um, yeah, we got to egg collection. That all went fine. We got nine eggs. So then, yeah, wait for our five days for our embryos. I think we got the we got the update that five out of nine had fertilized, and we were, you know, I was happy with that. That's pretty. That was pretty normal compared, like, with our other cycles. I was like, this is going great. Yeah, and then we got to day five, and she rang me and said, "I'm so sorry." We've only got one embryo that has survived. So that was pretty gut-wrenching to come back with that. We've just done a complete new round and that round physically this time, more than emotionally, physically, it um, it really knocked me around. Being obviously older than what I was with previous cycles, I was, I was a lot more drained. I had no energy. I was more snappy with, um, I was more snappy with my 18-month-old, which... In return, I didn't like. I didn't like it. I didn't like that I was more snappy with him. Um, so, yeah, it did. It took a bigger. It took a bigger toll. Like I was, I felt really crappy and not myself for probably a bit over a month. 
So a month out of your life, I was like, this is, yeah, I'm really feeling it. So, yeah, anyway, we've decided, yeah, decided to move forward. I've changed, I've changed a heap of my supplements, um, trying to make myself ready. We have recently booked in that we will start and try again, try another round probably at the start of June. So another month away, we'll start again and go again. Um, we've, my doctor has completely changed my medications. We're on completely different stuff that I haven't tried before in the hopes of just trying to get something. But yeah, initially, like we're just, yeah, how do you keep moving forward? How do you keep going trying for a second one? We've got our first, he's lovely. When do you call it quits? So obviously you're having those thoughts. Have you considered a limit? Yeah, like that's probably at the point where we're at now, like especially off the back of the last round, we've got nothing. We've just wasted, essentially. It's People tell me, oh, don't say wasted, but to me it feels like I have, like I've just wasted 15 grand. Mm. So like that's a lot of money to come up with up front to have a no result at the end of it. So, you know, going forward, we don't know what's going to happen going forward. Another round, another another 15 grand, if not more maybe. Where do, how, how far do you go? Like, yeah, how far do you take it? Um, how, how can you just be be happy with, you know, we've got our lovely boy and we're very grateful for him. Um, I would love another one, but yeah, how, how far do you take it? How much do you sacrifice in our life to go forward? Because the salt, uh, like essentially the cost of living these days is not cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, daycare is not cheap. Like, you know, I've had to return to work, um, just to try and get something. And, uh, like a lot of people are feeling the pinch now and, yeah, we feel the pinch that we have to we have to sacrifice other things to try and at least just try for a baby. Like mm. so how how far do we take that? Um that's probably yeah, at the forefront of our minds and my husband and I have spoken about it. Yeah, I think it it'll just all it'll all depend on probably what this year brings us. Some really complex emotions throughout because it's like you have gratitude, obviously, for having yeah. your son and, you know, going through everything that you had in order to have him. Yeah. But then there is this sense of loss and grief at the same yeah. time. Yeah. At the same time. And I'm like, you know, I feel guilty in myself sometimes mm. that we, we've had a child. Other people don't get that. Like, yeah. so that's probably where, yeah, trying for a second one does, it does get me sometimes, like. Yeah, other people don't, they come out at the end of IVF with nothing. Like, I was very blessed and we have got our son. So, yeah, when when do you just be grateful for that? Mm. Um, yeah, like, it does. And it's a real it's a real mind game. It does. Yeah. It, really, it really does get you. Yeah. So what would you say to a mum listening to this who might be going through IVF right now? I would say hang in there, do the best you can. It is not your fault. There is hope. I know, like, I know some people don't come out at the end of it, but there is hope for some people and advocate for yourself. 
Stick up for yourself. Say what you need to. Like my doctor, he didn't suggest the genetic testing. I did. I said, this is what I want to do. And he's like, oh, okay. And I was like, right, yep, this is what we're doing. Yeah, stick up for yourself, advocate yourself and, and hang in there. It's very, yeah, it's very tough and you just got to make the right decisions for yourself and be kind to yourself because yeah. it's, yeah, it is, it's not your fault. Be kind, be kind to your husband or your partner. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's really nice. I think that's good and it's good for people to hear. Also, on the other end of that, what do you want others to know about IVF who maybe don't know or haven't gone through it before? Gone through it before? I feel like you've given a really good insight, but is there anything in particular that you want people to know? Probably for other people, it's not as easy for people going through IVF. Don't don't ask them anything. If if they want to tell you, they will tell you. Like I have some really close friends who are a great support group. And I do, I want to tell them and I tell them, but they, they know that. If they don't want to talk to you, don't don't push it. Be mindful. I had some really great friends at the time. You know, I, was, I wasn't really an emotionally great spot and they, they were pregnant. I had some excellent friends. They came to me uh, separately and personally and told me, which was excellent for, like, it was excellent for me. Like, yes, I was extremely upset and they knew I was going to be upset but I'm at the same time. I'm so happy for them. Like it wasn't. It wasn't the fact that. Um, yeah, I was sad for myself, not for them. I was extremely happy for them, but I was glad they didn't tell me in a public setting because yeah, I I did. I broke down. Uh, yeah, and there was there was a lot of crying moments. But it's not because I wasn't happy for them. I was mm-hmm. just I was I was sad for myself and what we had to go through. So. That was probably a good. That was probably a good thing. Um, and yeah, just to be mindful to not not assume, not yeah, not make assumptions, because you don't you don't know their circumstances, and just be there to support people if you do know they're going through it, because mm. it's a really tough journey, um, and just support whatever decisions that they've made. Mm. I like I know a number of people in my life who've gone through IVF, and they have done the long hard yards and they have had a baby at the end of it. Um, but something I find often is that there, there's like this really big invisible load of IVF that people just don't yep. see behind closed doors. No. So it's like, you know, we, we talk about it. IVF's quite, you know, there's something that's mm. in the motherhood space now and we talk about it a lot, but I don't actually think people understand how much there is behind those closed doors and what goes on just emotionally, physically, the whole lot and, you know, travel time and, you know, work life and... Yeah, exactly. Mm. Like, yeah, like I'm pretty envious of um, people that have their, um, like their IVF clinic, especially, you know, even half an hour down the road. Like yeah. Mine's four hours down the road and especially when, like, I've got to work, got to try and work and try and keep a toddler now. So I've got to drive four hours for my appointment. So I normally drive four hours. I normally try and get my appointment in the middle of the day. The clinic's very excellent with that. They do they do sort of know. So I get it in the middle of the day. I leave in the morning. I have my appointment. I'm home by that afternoon. So I've just done eight-hour round trip. I will go to work the next day, nine times out of the next day or two, depending. But normally he wants me back within two or three days so I've got to do that trip all again two or three days Mm -hmm. it is not uncommon for me to drive to Toowoomba and back twice a week for a couple of weeks yeah 
And I think that's actually a really good reminder, um, thinking about those women and families who do live rurally and don't have, it's not only about access, but a lot of the time it's also about um, quality and variety as well. Yeah. Um, you know, your options are limited because of yeah, we are. simply where you live. Yeah. And I think people are also under the assumption that because, you know, these days we hear a lot about um, IVF being bulk build. So people yeah. are sort of now under the assumption that, oh, well, IVF doesn't really cost anything anymore. Whereas that doesn't <laughs> seem to be the case, particularly with the people I know. No, no, definitely, definitely not. And I do, I haven't personally, I haven't been to a bulk build clinic, but I do know, especially sometimes there are restrictions. Like if you need over a certain amount of medication, the bulk build doesn't cover that, which I would, I would think there is a majority of women that would, they would go over that threshold. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that that does factor in. So some people might not even qualify for it. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's the that there's no other option for them. I have one last question for you. If you could go back to yourself right at the beginning of this journey, what would you say to her? Oh, I do now you got me. (laughs) (laughs) To stay strong, keep it, like, yeah, keep going. Yeah, you have wonderful friends, wonderful family. Yeah, just, just to hang in there. That was, yeah, that was probably, yeah, my biggest thing. Um, Yeah, to stay strong and... Yeah. Keep trekking along yep, day just by keep, day. Yep, trekking along day by day, one foot in front of the other. Just keep yep. going. Thank you so much, Danny Lee. I know it's not an easy conversation to have, <laughs> revisiting all of that, but I think you've done an amazing job and you've done the conversation around IVF and its struggles um, justice. And I really appreciate you being so vulnerable and open and sharing. <laughs> and it's been so nice to chat to you. Oh, it's been lovely to chat with you also. I oh, like it. I think... Um, yeah, like it is it is hard for some women to share their journey, but I'm I'm more than happy to be open and honest about it and let people know what mm. what really does go on and the emotional the emotional and physical toll it does take. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening and would like to share your story with us or feel compelled to talk about issues surrounding women's health, please don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. You can find us at The Power of Birth on Instagram and Facebook or on our website, thepowerofbirth.net. If you loved this episode, we would love it if you left us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and share us with your family and friends. The conversation has to start somewhere. Thank you again for listening and we hope you join us in the next episode.